welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventures to episode 83 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And today we've got yet another chock full gamey goodness episode of the show. Scott, we got a lot to talk about. That we do. Tons of stuff in the news, like our, our little banter here, recent plays. There's a whole bunch. It's just gonna be you and me. This is uh this is like old times. I like it. Oh, I know, I know. Isn't it adorable? <laughs> Let's kick things off. Tales of the Arthurian Knights is coming quarter mm-hmm. four from WizKids in 2023. Supposed to be much like Tales of the Arabian Nights, but it's Arthurian, which I think is more up your alley. Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. I'm definitely looking forward to that one there. The Arabian Nights, I never played that one at all. I've heard a lot of things about it. But whenever you throw in Arthurian into anything, okay, you got me hook, line, and sinker. You know, I think they're going to have to make some edits for the 2023 version. I know in the old one, like, one of the, oh, ha-ha, that happened is uh, you turn into a woman or you turn into a man. Like, a sex change can happen in the game. Yeah, which, yeah. You know, okay, that that's kind of yeah. funny. But, you know, modern sensitivities, I, w- I wonder if that's going to stay. Well, I'm hoping that they're going to do something completely different and not just take the same stories and everything they had before in King Arthur instead of, um, uh, who is it with the Arabian Knights? Uh, uh, there was Sher- Aladdin or whatever. So. Nah. Well, we got to think of this one. Sherazad was, was the... The captive female that told the thousand tales, and she kept telling tales, and they were they were so captivating that her captor, the person who had her held prisoner, uh, wanted to hear more. I uh, didn't kill her that night, and said, "Oh, you know what? You can survive another night because I have to hear what happens next." Like she kept leaving it on a cliffhanger, and I think mm. that's where, like in the movie Aladdin, that chair was out. He's got a thousand tales. You remember that that, that yes, line? Yes, in yes, the, yes. Okay. Uh, that's that's where they get that whole Thousand Tales thing. I just don't know who held Sherazad captive. Well, you are further along on that narrative path than I am, sir. Adventures, when you come to us for your information, you're going to get uh, some choppy stuff. So <laughs> it's free show. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. I saw one that, uh, that caught my eye on Kickstarter. Once Upon a Line will be live January 17th. All right. Now, I don't know if you saw this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the lowdown. In okay. the future, a pandemic has wiped out most of humanity, making room for insects to grow to gigantic proportions. The surviving humans utilize the insects to rebuild civilization. All right, so okay. Weird, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of going uh, down the lane of whose line is in anyway, and so far it couldn't be any more further away from that. <laughs> no kidding. And I thought like Lacrimosa, but with a poet, you know, like, oh, maybe it has to do yeah, with uh, yeah. writing. Nope, 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 nope. All right, it gets stranger. Now, mind you, this, okay. is, this is from Lucky Duck. All right, this isn't uh, somebody... Okay, this is from Lucky Duck. This is a narrative game played out in chapters. You embody heroes and you use their actions to play on a board of scratch-off ink. Uncover hidden words and take their corresponding cards. This is going to reveal the next part of the story as well as new words to find in order to accomplish your missions. It's uh, it's like a scratch-off, almost like I picture a lottery ticket. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I haven't seen anything on this, but I'm hoping that it's going to be something with a low price point because this seems like it's going to be, what is it, Exit, uh, where you have to tear up the books and things like Mm -hmm. that for the escape room. This is a one and done and you're done. And I'm sorry, but if you have a price point higher than 20 bucks, it's going to be sitting on the shelves, I think. Yeah, that is a factor whenever it comes to a game that is a one and done. I know that they have a recharge pack, but eh, still. No, a big grand legacy game, I can still get behind that. And most of them, you can play when you're done anyway. You know, that you have yeah. this completed game that you can still break out. I'm looking at uh, BGG, looking at some of the early ratings, and there is a lot of hate because of that one and done experience. It's got, I, just, I can't yeah. help but feel like uh, the people that are saying, you know, oh, one and done, this is crap, you know, can't do it, one and done, it's so wasteful. Have they never purchased fireworks or an adult <laughs> beverage? Like, why is it that the line of what's allowed to be a consumable, that line is drawn well before board games? We have consumable board games. You even mentioned the uh, the Exit game. Uh, yeah, Exit, for example, does that. Yes, but the thing is, if you have this as a one and done and you put out a bunch of money, you have that thing sitting on your shelf just staring at you. Mm, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. the thing there. I mean, a firework, boom, it goes away. It's done. I mean, that uh, bottle of beer, the bottle of scotch, you finish it. It's gone. It's out of out of sight, out of mind. But if you have this, it's just going to be sitting there like, wow, I paid $75 for this thing. Well, we, we don't know yet. It could be 30 bucks. Right, right. I, I'm just guessing here. Okay, so for I, example, I honestly for example. I, I, okay, I get your point. Uh, why yeah, do you have to keep it? It's just one of those things where, oh, I don't know. I just throw it away when you're done. It doesn't have to sit on the shelf taunting you. Yeah, and I'm not one that I'm being one of the haters or anything like that at all. I'm just saying, hey – it might just not be for me. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on the point that the price better be right. Yeah, the success of this really relies on that. Scott, I'm going to give one more and then I'll let you I saw you put a you put a doozy on here, but first, let me point out one that uh, is near and dear to my heart. Renegade Game Studios, they're going to have voting starting February 23rd for Axis and Allies. You pick the battle, they'll make the game. Oh, my goodness. Now, I'm assuming that this is going to have to be World War II. You know, pick a battle in World War II. They're not looking for a, I I don't know, some, they're not looking for a Civil War game out of this. I I assume that they want it to be World War II like the vast majority of Axis and Allies games have been. But I thought, how cool is that? They're going with the community. Hey, guys, you come up with something. We'll make it for you. And that's going to be tough because they have so many of them with the different theaters of war. It's hard to tell what's left over for them to do. I mean, I know that they went out and I don't know if it was Renegade Games had it at the time that they did Axis and Allies versus Zombies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I'm not sure (laughs) if that was Renegade or not, but I mean, they've kind of gone out of the way to do something a little bit different, but... Yeah, it's going to be tough to see what they're going to do. I'm excited to see what they do. That looks like a lot of fun. And being able to put that out there and have people vote on it, it's kind of like one of those things if they have an idea of here are five different things, you vote on it, or people just write in and here you go. Here are a bunch of things. We'll take the top five. Mm-hmm. Axis and Allies versus Zombies, or Axis and Allies, I don't think it was versus Zombies, it was just Axis and Allies Zombies. That was a 2018 game, that was Wizards of the Coast, and I actually played that one too. Mike bought that one, took it over to the cabinet, Brennan's, geez, we're going back almost two years when we played this, so I yeah. can't say much about it, but I will say it was fun. 
It gets kind of crapped on in the Axis and Allies universe because I think if you like that type of game, you don't want zombies. You don't want zombies mm. rising and messing with your plans. <laughs> you, you want your strategic planning to pay off. You don't want none of the crap getting in the mm, – no, it was fun. It was different and you have to know going in that what you're playing is going to get a little ridiculous. You know, things are going to happen mm-hmm. that are unexpected. You know, if you have that mindset, you know, you, you maybe cater your expectations to the game. It was a lot of fun. Right. Well, and I got to throw this out here, too, for the adventurers here. If you ever get a chance, thinking about Axis and Allies and Zombies, check out Dead Snow. It's a bunch of Swedish skiers or snowmobilers that find German Nazi gold in a cabin, and it resurrects the Nazi zombies. Well, you just can't make that up. Now, I have never seen so many interesting uses for the entrails of a human being than I did in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, definitely check that one out. Scott, you've got a doozy on here. Why don't we get right to it? Uh, Next one you put up has to do with Fun Again Games. Uh, Did did you say they're closing their doors? Yes, they just posted a thing here that they regret to inform you that Fun Again Logistics and Fun Again Distribution will be ceasing operation. Our last day of business will be on April 30th. Now, Mm. I know I've gotten a few Kickstarters through Fun Again Games. Oh, likewise. And that's a big thing there. If they're closing their doors and already with so many things going on with Kickstarters being delivered, being stuck on boats, being stuck in different ports, Mm -hmm. all these things going down. And now then they have one of these big companies that sort things out and get it out to the consumers. That's going to really tie things up here a little bit. Now, they're saying they're going to continue to fulfill all pending projects currently in our warehouse and projects that are already en route to their warehouse. So if you have something going out from them, they said they're still going to cover those, but nothing past March 3rd. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that, uh, if it's going to really gum up the works with delivery Kickstarters or what's going to happen there. I already got an update from our friends that created Solar 175, who we actually oh, yes. had their side quest on last year. Solar was, they were planning on using, fun again, for their logistics to get these games to everyone. We got the update today. Mm-hmm. They're saying, you know, we're, we're going to figure it out. Don't worry. But man, that's got to be tense. If you're a creator of one of these projects and you mathed out the amount of money that you need based on yeah. fun again, and now you can't use them. That's Ooh, that's gonna be weird. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a hard place for people to be in, uh, especially publishers trying to get things out to people that backed it and showed the goodwill that they wanted to see their product come out. And now then they have this major twist kind of gumming up the work. So it's it's. I'm hoping everything works out well for everyone involved. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Scott, yeah. I got one more. I lied. I told you I'd let you finish, but I, I could not. Of Oh, no, you had to touch on this one, <laughs> definitely. So I'm scrolling down Facebook, and I see this. It's uh, it's the bird from the cover of Wingspan, and it's done with, like, meeples. It's a mosaic, right? And there, there are some people that do that, and they share their post to Instagram. And first of all, it's amazing. I'm always – I have an artistic bone in my body, but not like that. There are some really talented <laughs> people making some really cool things. But oh, this yeah. one was posted by Jamie. 
from Stonemaier Games. Jamie Stegmaier posted oh, this. And I was yes. like, well, well, I'm going to read that. And you know what it said? It said that there's a wingspan fan art challenge. The premise oh, wow. he, in this post, he said, you know what? I am so amazed by some of the art that people are coming up with that I thought it would be fun to have a challenge. And we're going to, I think that the intention here is that they're going to make a promo pack of alt art birds using the submissions that people get in by you know what <laughs> i wish i could, i wish we could get him on the line here or something and talk to him it no was so nice <laughs> so i messaged jamie and i said hey you know i know you're a busy guy you don't have to come on the show but if you want to give us a little clip let uh, let the adventurers know exactly what's going on let's get it right from the source huh okay hey patrick and scott this is jamie from stonemeyer games and i appreciate you letting me pop in to share some news that i am really excited about for stonemeyer games and specifically wingspan I had an idea a few weeks ago to uh, kind of acknowledge the amazing Wingspan fan community, specifically the artists in the fan community, artists old and young, experienced and amateur and professional artists of all certain varieties and different stylistic varieties who have created fan art for Wingspan. And what we've decided to do is let everyone in the Wingspan fan community or anyone who wants to, um, to submit an illustration that they created of a bird already found in Wingspan or one of the three expansions. And we're going to select one illustration for a number of birds. We haven't decided exactly how many birds, but we'll select an illustration for some birds. And we are going to create a promo pack specifically of those birds with the fan art on the birds, credit to the fan on the bird, and uh, for each pack that we that we decide that we uh, that we end up making, we'll so we'll donate a dollar to a bird-related charity. And so it's a fun way to to celebrate the fan community, the birders, the wingspanners who create art just for fun of birds, and to also give back to a good cause. Um, submissions are due by February 16th, and then we'll make our selections and announce them to the artist by March 16th. And then later in 2023, we will release at least the first promo pack. There might be multiple promo packs, but we'll release the first one later this year. Thanks for letting me share this on your podcast. And uh, anyone who wants to submit a Wingspan bird art, check out our website for a link to the, the submission form. Thanks. I tell you what, I'm thinking about actually trying. I haven't drawn or, or painted anything. I can't paint, but I haven't drawn anything for a long time. And I'm thinking of trying this Wingspan Fan Art Challenge. How awesome. Can you imagine the street cred you'd get? <laughs> True. I mean, yeah. I mean, you walk around and you're just like, hey, I'm in that game. Anytime my wife and I got into an <laughs> argument, I would just whip out the bird that I made and like hold it in her face. <laughs> Talk to the bird. <laughs> oh, She'd kill me. Let's move on, Patrick. You want to lead off recent plays? Ah, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, why not? It sounds like a good time here to start into some of the games we played here recently. So one of them that I did, I was at Barnes & Noble's whenever they had their 50% off sale. I know, I just had to do that on purpose. No, I was at Barnes & Noble for their 50% off sale, and I picked up Imperium Classics. Ah. This was designed by Nigel Buckle, and I've heard this corrected, David Turtsey, and published by Osprey Publishing, and came out in 2021. This is the game I've been looking at for a long time. I look at it, and they have Imperium Legends as well, too. Mm -hmm. And they both can be played together. The look of it intrigued me. It was a deck builder. It had a solo version. 
checked all the boxes for me. Then they had the sale, and I figured, hey, what's what's bad? I'll pick it up. Uh-oh. Then I got out the rule book. Uh-oh. Yeah. So in Imperium Classics, you play a struggling band of people trying to evolve and become a great empire, whether it's the Romans or Macedonians or any of the Carthaginians, other come in the, the Celts, box. the Persians, the Greek. Yes. <laughs> now, there's also the legends that you can add the other ones in there as well. Mm-hmm. You set up a market. Now, the market, of course, from other deck builders, that's where you go to buy things. The cards that you add to your deck help you evolve quicker and rise to beat your enemies. To say that they make this cluttered would be a pretty good assessment. Okay. You separate the cards, then make decks. Then recombine the leftover cards that you didn't use in those to complete the market in another deck. It's not a long game, and the artwork works for me, but I've read some people, they just can't get past the artwork. I like it. I think it's now, awesome. Now, the reason it probably won't be staying in my collection is they made this game complicated where it did not have to be. Deck builders have been around since the early days of Dominion. Everyone knows you draw a card, place it in your discard, finish playing your turn, and continue. Mm-hmm. Once everyone's gone, it's the end of the round. In this, you activate a card. So you play a card. Then you take an action. You place an action token on it. First of all, it's just like a chevron on it. So it's nothing that makes you think of it being an action. Okay. If you get resources for it, you have another resource token to put on it. Once again, that is like a neon pink that has nothing to make you think that, oh, this is a resource. Then if you exhaust the card, well, you got to put another thing on there. So there's another token you're putting on it. Plus each one of the civilizations have a little corner of each one of them with a different color on there. Mm -hmm. So it could be purple, it could be green, it could be yellow, it could be red. But then there's also symbols in it for ones that are part of the empire or parts that are going to be your starting hand. Plus then you have other things that come up where cards are exhausted and then you can garrison cards and then you can you can exhaust them. You can do all these different things about it. Then you have the solstice stage. It just seemed like there was a nice game in here that they almost made it complicated and then gummed it up with even worse components for it Mm. to really just make this not an enjoyable game. I've tried it a few times to play it solo, and I just get it set up. I look at it, and I'm like, I have no desire to play this now. And I just pack it up, and I put it away. I wanted to like this so badly, but it was just the hurdles to get the things set up and to get things moving. It was just... I, I don't even know what to say here. It was just, people can say I'm wrong, I and I'm anxious to hear what people think that have played this game. But for me, it just did not live up to the hype for me at all. You know, I'm looking through some of the BGG ratings as you're talking. I wasn't listening to anything you said, but I got the gist of okay. it. Uh, I was really reading ratings. Uh, I had an idea of where you were going to go with this prior to tonight. So I, I preemptively looked at BGG and did not do so for the last two minutes, but I really did. Okay. It looks like a lot of people that are reading it highly enjoy that complexity and they're able to get past the, we'll call it a clunky setup. And most people rate it highly. Uh, it's got a, what mm-hmm. a, like an eight average for the rating. So most of the ratings on this are good. It sounds like this is a good game if you can get beyond the clutter. When I look at the ratings that, like, I like to look at four or five. You go to one, you get a bunch of garbage. You go to ten, you get a bunch right. of fanboys. 
got to look at like seven and eights. That's your thoughtful comments for good. Uh, threes and fours typically have thoughtful comments for bad. And you know what they all said was just too cluttered, just too much going on. My favorite one, uh, this guy related it to a kid at recess and he comes up with a game and it's a great idea. And then another kid joins in and says, oh, but we're going to add this. And another kid joins mm. in. Before you know it, you've got you know a game that goes for way too long with far too many rules, with far too many components. And, and it seems like those that are rating it low are saying a bit of what you're saying. I found it a little bit clunky, found it a little too cumbersome to set up, uh, maybe just not worth the amount of effort that it takes to, to play the game, whereas those that like it say, yeah, oh, it's worth it. There are little things in here that are absolute gems that could work out well in this game. Mm -hmm. But if they could just do something to streamline it a little bit, I think there is... A, a wonderful game in there, but right now it just does not work for me at all. So I hate to start this off on a really sour note like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, we got fun again closing. We got Scott hating on uh, Imperium. What are you going to do with the game? If, you, if you, You're just going to sell it. I'll, I'll probably do that. Or if you want to give it a try and see what, if you can learn anything out of it, I'll be happy to bring it over I to you. I was going to say, you should give it to me. Okay. You got it. <laughs> Scott, let's let's put on the happy face, because I'm going to talk about one that I've been waiting to talk about since we played it at Brennan's. That's a game by Paul Denon from Direwolf in 2022. It's Clank Catacombs. Oh, yes. I'm going to go ahead and guess that most adventures are familiar with Clank, but let's do the brief overview for those who aren't. It's a deck building game with a press your luck aspect. And the theme of this game is that you are one of a handful of adventurers that are going to delve into a dungeon in search of a like a rare and valuable treasure. But don't make too much noise because deep in the dungeon, there's a dragon. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess it's the Hobbit. Uh, there you go. You play as Bilbo. Yeah, yeah. You're going in to retrieve the Arkenstone, but Smaug is down there, right? The mm -hmm. deck building portion means that each player starts the game with the same 10 card deck from which you're going to get to draw and use five on your turn. And they typically give you some movements and purchasing power. Uh, some of them make clank, which is kind of the noise that you make as you're delving into the dungeon. You add cards to your deck from a collective market using your buying power. And the cards are what's going to spice up your play and make you unique when compared with everyone else. So far, so good. Mm -hmm. now, yes, yes. All good. Scattered throughout this dungeon are artifact tokens, and the deeper down you go on the board, it's a deck building game of the board, the deeper you go on the board, the more valuable the artifact you're able to retrieve. So you can get this stupid gem at the top that's worth seven points and get out, and go you, you did it, but you could go yeah. for that shield in the bottom right corner all the way across the board that's worth 30, but it's going to be dangerous. You're less likely to get out if you go for that. See, when you make noise or clank, you add a cube of your player color to the clank area of the board. And at some intervals, like when someone finds a dragon egg, or if somebody picks up an artifact, or when certain cards enter the market, the dragon attacks. And this is the magical moment of the game. You've got a dragon bag, mm -hmm. an opaque bag, which I didn't re really realize I was like 25. Opaque means you can't see through it. <laughs> yeah, serious. You have an opaque bag. It's got 25 black cubes, and those are the dragon cubes. Whenever the dragon attacks, you take all of the clank, the player cubes from the clank area. You put them in that bag, you give that sack a good shaky shake, and then you pull out some number of cubes, depending on how far you are in the game. If your color comes out, you put it in the damage area. You took a damage. Oh, you can't take 10 or you're dead. D-E-D, -E dead. So, inevitably, you're weighing how likely you are to continue delving deeper Versus whether you should just get an artifact now. Oh, crap, I'm at six damage. I should grab something and get out, right? 
Do note, there are a of few course. sections of the board for end game purposes. Like if you get out, you score a bonus 20 points. If you make it above the depths, which is like halfway up the board, you'll score your points for your deck and whatnot, but you're not going to get the bonus 20. And if you die in the depths, D, E, D, dead. Get good, noob. Last factor, and I'm bringing it up because... <laughs> Last factor, and I bring it up because it creates a wonderful interplay among players, is when someone gets out, from that point forward, when it comes back to their turn, they just do another dragon attack. And after doing it three times, when it's their turn again, that's it. Game over. If you're still in the depths, you're okay. dead. If you're above, you're dead. You get carried out. You just don't get your bonus 20, etc. I love it because players have control over it. Now, the Clank Systems had several expansions, iterations, uh, even a legacy campaign, but the newest is Clank Catacombs, which has the hook of a modular board. So we've got a few slight changes in this one. You've got uh, the use of lock picks to go through. Uh, namely, you're going to use them to go through like, you know how some of the pathways, they have a, a double footstep. So you need two steps to go down that path or a monster. So you need a sword if you're going to go down that path. Otherwise you take a damage. Now they have the lock symbol, which they had before and you had to buy a key. You can't buy the key anymore. You need to find Ooh. lock picks. They're just little items. You can get them in the secrets, etc. There are ways to get lock picks. And some of the cards you buy will give them to you. So there are different ways to open up the locked paths in this one. You can also use them to free prisoners, which give you like a some sort of a bonus for freeing them. But truly, the main difference, let's be honest, the difference here is the use of the square tiles to create a board as you play. Now, functionally, sure. okay. what that means is that if you go down a path at the edge of a tile... You flip a new tile and you get to like orient, rotate it as you wish, just so long as you're completing that path to go to the next room. And what makes it work is that the artifacts are drawn as the artifact symbols are revealed. Normal clank, the board is static. The seven artifact right. is always going to go near the top. The 30 artifact is always going to be the farthest one away. Now, all of your artifacts are in a little stack. So as you pull tiles and it's got that hexagonal symbol, then you pull the artifacts. So the first one pulled is going to be a cheap low point artifact, right? And as you reveal mm -hmm. more symbols, you get higher values. Furthermore, the okay. game introduces some portals, which are basically just what they sound. It's a way to get from point A to point B, somewhere that's further away. Okay, sure. Yeah. Now, you've played Clank a lot more than I have, and I know you like this. How does this stack up? Do you like the new twist that they added into this, or is it like my other game that I just talked about? <laughs> Did they mess up with something that was good and gum it all up? Uh, they definitely didn't mess anything up. Uh, I do love Clank. If you like other versions, you're going to like this version too. My cautionary okay. tale would be it doesn't exactly reinvent the wheel. So when we played Clank Legacy, it was so good. It was so different and it had all kinds of fun twists on the system. Things that we weren't expecting, right? This is very much a, uh, a back to basics with the difference being the modular board. And I do appreciate that. I like the modular board. I think it makes the game fun. But if you're looking uh -huh. for like, oh, this is totally new way to play Clank, it's different. It's not totally new. You're, you're playing the same game, just the map changes up a little bit. Uh, I think if you like Clank, there's a great deal of familiarity here, and you're probably going to love this as well. My only hang-up, and I mean my only hang-up, is it's possible in Clank to get an artifact and like wait by the exit and rack up money mm -hmm. and buy cards that are worth points, notably secret tombs, or even if you aren't the first person to get out, if you feel like you can hang out for like another turn or two, 
Well, it's within the rules, and oftentimes it's worthwhile to do so. People have to weigh that in when they play. I'm telling you what, I want to game this game. I want to keep playing it because I'm convinced that if I stay near the entrance, just like three tiles away, I'm going to let everybody else explore. I'm just going to hang out in like two spots, right? They can collect the secrets, mm-hmm. so be it. I'm going to hang out in two spots. I'm going to build up my money, and I'm just going to buy secret tomes and buy cards that are worth points. But, but, but you're not collecting the major secrets one. I, yeah, I don't care about it. I don't want lockpicks, none of that. I'm just going to hang out right there and get little points as I can. And after they've revealed four or five or six artifact tiles, I'm going to go boop and just walk over to a new tile, reveal it. Hey, look, an artifact tile. That's the 30 artifact. Grab it. And hey, look, I'm only two but two tiles away from the uh, the exit. I'm out. I, I have to wonder. Like, I am not saying that that's a legit strategy or that it works. But yeah. man, I'm held up on that. Like, I want to keep playing because I, I feel like I feel like I can break the game. Uh, and uh, that's a hang-up for me. Otherwise, if you like Clank, oh, you're going to like Clank Catacombs. It's great. Well, and that leads to another question here, is if you have Clank in your library, Mm -hmm. do you need Clank Catacombs as well? Nope, absolutely not. If you have Clank, this is similar enough. Uh, If you have neither, I'll say if you have neither, I think Clank Catacombs is probably the more intriguing game because of the modular board and the fact that it can change from game to game. I favor base clank because it's what I know. You know what I mean? It's that, it's Mm -hmm. that, uh, it's the warm hug, right? It's the warm blanket game for me. I I know what I'm getting myself into. The familiarity is comforting. That said, if you have base clank, maybe see if somebody else in your group gets clank catacombs, or if you've played somebody else's base version of clank and you really liked it, then you be the guy to get clank catacombs. I don't see that I would need to in my collection. Okay. Okay. I've played Clank once, and I've played Clank in Space once, mm-hmm. so I'm not really in-depth with it as much as you. Did you enjoy uh, it? But it's, oh yeah, yeah, I had a good time with it. It didn't knock my socks off or anything, but it was it was a fun enough game there for me. That's your boy, Paul Denon. That's, uh, that's our Dune Imperium designer. Oh, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I, hey, he just did this just to prepare him for uh, Dune Imperium. <laughs> All paths lead back to Dune. The spice must flow. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. (laughs) Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively Mm -hmm. for adventurers, Get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. 
Scott, I'm glad to see the next one you have on here. It's one that you taught me. Tell us about It's a Wonderful World. I have to thank BGA for It's a Wonderful World. It's one that I had heard and then just disappeared into the ether. Mm-hmm. Then it came out on there. And the, the look of it, the artwork just drew me in. I'm like, what is this? So I started exploring. In It's a Wonderful World, you are an expanding empire. You must choose your path to your future. You must develop faster and better than your competitors. You carefully plan your expansion to develop your production power and rule over this new world. You'll have cards that you're going to be drafting very similar to Seven Wonders. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a game from one to five players. Each round, players will draft seven cards, then choose which ones will be recycled immediately to acquire resources in order to build the other cards to add to your empire. So there are a lot of things here that are similar to Seven Wonders in this. Uh, With the drafting, with the building of the cards... Number one, it was a familiar type of area that you're going into. Mm. I just had, am having a blast with it. It doesn't take a lot of time to play. You get points for military leaders and for financial leaders. You'll get points for having so many of a certain type of card in your empire. And you have to take a look and like, do I want to go the long route and try and build this big card that will give me a lot of points? Or do I want to just nickel and dime and get a ton of resources and then be able to pick and choose what I want to do at the end? There's a lot of strategy with what you want to do. And my biggest problem is I have a hard time sticking with a strategy I start out with. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I will start out with a strategy and it's like, this is going to be great. This is going to be, oh my God, I've got, oh wait, what if I try that? And then I go off on a complete tangent and then end up losing horribly. Yeah. But it's still one of those games that I'm having enough fun with. It still draws me back, even though I'm doing horrible at it. It's one of those things that I want to learn it. I want to do better at it. I want to get better. I've really thoroughly enjoyed playing this game. It's a good time. King, let's take a minute. Let's get under the hood of this thing because there's a lot going on in It's a Wonderful World. So four rounds or five. You taught it to me. I've played it twice. Four rounds. Okay, four rounds of the game. The first round, uh, you're you're dealt, we'll say seven cards. I don't don't recall. I think it was seven or eight. Yeah, you draft seven cards. So you've got seven cards. And these cards have symbols on the left, which they're they're cubes for all intents and purposes. But they're what you need. They're the resources that you need. And, And quite frankly, the theme, throw it out the window. Uh, it could be anything. When I'm playing, I'm just, no, oh, yeah. it has great art. I have to give it credit. It has great art. And the things like the black cards, you can tell they're kind of militaristic. The green cards are science. They're named with science names, but uh, this is a mechanism forward game. Oh yes. Yeah, most definitely. So in that but first yeah. hand of cards, you take a card that says uh, you need to have three black and one colorless, uh, one white, in order to, to yep. play this card, to construct it. So you take it. And then the next one, you see another one, and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm producing black and green. This one also needs black. My first playthrough, I was like, okay, so I take black cards because I can fulfill them. Man, you need to take some cards to throw them away. You said recycle. And yes. what that means is you take a card and the intent is I'm just going to pitch this to get the resource shown in the bottom right. So you've got a yes. few different things that you can do with each card. Most cards are going to have – well, every card has. I can pitch this to get a resource. Every card has a cost on the left for you to put it in a tableau in front of you and it will give you some form of production of resources. And most cards uh, – some, not, not most – some amount of the cards – have point scoring potential 
as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to balance, like if something's going to give me resource generation, I obviously don't want to build that in round four or probably it's going to be awfully narrow in round four. It's going to take a very specific set of circumstances for that to be beneficial. On the other hand, if something's going to score me points, big points, man, I'm having trouble finding, do I want to take that round one and like build my strategy on it? Or do I want to wait and pick one of those up in round four? But oh, what if someone else sharks it away from me because they see I'm producing that color? There's a lot to think about when when playing It's a Wonderful World. Yeah, whenever you get the seven cards, you take a look at it, and it's really difficult because you look and see what cards you have already in your workshop area. Yeah, what production now, these am are the I cards capable? you're working on and trying to get those things working up. You take a look at what they call your empire card. Your empire card starts out with a certain number of resources that you'll produce each and every turn. You take a look at what you have in your workshop and you figure, all right, those are going to fill this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. Then you have to figure out what other resources do I need and then figure out, do I want to take this card and just throw it away to get that one resource or do I want to take another one that's going to give me one resource of the color that I need and another color that I'm not even thinking about right now, but it could come into play later on. And then you have the other uh, mechanic where you could take five of any color, put it together, and it'll make a red resource, which can fill in for any color. Mm. So there's so many different little things going on in this. Y you're right. I mean, it does seem very simple on the top, but whenever you really put it down on paper and start figuring out, you put like the diagram out of, if this happens here, you go here. If this happens here, you go here. Oh, boy, you've got a huge spreadsheet on your hands right there looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. It feels to me like a game that if we kept playing, eventually you'd start to crack some strategies that are really powerful. Like, I, I'm pretty sure you want something that's going to produce more. And well, obviously, but you want it turn one. You cannot get out of round one and not have built something to produce you extra resources. Round two is probably the same way. Round three, you're probably either looking to gather those tokens or looking to mm -hmm. start on a big point score. Round four, I think, is the closeout round. Maybe you depend on a point scoring card. It's, it's so it's so tricky and, and it, it keeps it keeps calling me back. And I love, yeah, love, yeah. love, love that on BGG, you can hammer out a game in about 10 minutes time. Yes, yes. Really a, a, a great little game there to check out. And then they also have It's a Wonderful Kingdom, mm -hmm. which is a two-player game. I just saw that this past weekend, and I was really tempted on getting it, but <laughs> I opted for another game instead, which I will talk about in an upcoming episode. And that one is chunky as hell. Ooh. Scott, a side note before I get on to the final of our recent plays, I'm holding in my hand a 1945 penny. Uh, so I'm uh -oh. working at the bank today. Some this this guy who's play, uh, we'll say he's getting long in the tooth. He comes into the bank and he cashed in his pennies. He said uh, mm -hmm. it, it was a it, okay. It was a hundred and ten dollars. I've been in banking for a long time and I've never had so many pennies cashed in at once. And typically, <laughs> if somebody's paying, you know, like oh he paid his bill in pennies, they went to the bank and they ordered pennies from the Fed, right? Right. This was a dude that had been collecting them his whole life, and he just turns them all in. I'll take cash, right? He and his grandson, his grandson. Helped Helped them roll all the pennies together and they cashed mm -hmm. them in. His grandson got his take the pot. So I, I asked, you know, so or, how long have you been saving up your pennies? And he said, as long as I can remember. I said, oh, you might have some old ones, some wheat ones in there, etc. And uh, he's like, yeah, I have no idea. I don't care. Uh, you know, 
Just take them. Well, okay. And what's funny is we have people that come into the bank. They're like, can I get a box of pennies? And they'll take them home and they'll sift through the pennies looking for wheat pennies and and like copper. People do that with like – one guy comes in, he, he orders 50 cent pieces by the box and he's looking for silver, pre 1970s silver. I okay. got, uh, I did not sift through, <laughs> I didn't sit at work on the <laughs> clock sifting through pennies, but I cracked open two rolls because I was curious and I found a 1945 penny, which is uh, particularly special, this one, because it is not copper. Oh. It's steel which has to do with World War II and the government's need for uh, different oh, yeah. metals. So uh, in, uh, if you find a 1945 penny that kind of looks like it's a dime, well, you've got yourself a steel penny, and, and it's a little bit rare, and uh, that one's going in the jar. Side note over. I just need to see that whole thing of the more you know and the little shooting star going across. <laughs> we need a light bulb going off or something, but all we have is <laughs> Nikki's basement. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, why don't you bring us to a close here? No, I'm kind of confused here. White Hat. Yeah. What do you do with that game? Yeah. What the heck is White Hat? According to my five-second Google search, it's apparently a white hat is a person that hacks into a computer network as a tester, testing or evaluating the security systems of that network. So like online banking or the government might hire someone to, hey, can you try and crack our system? That's a white hat, that person. Well, that makes sense because I've heard of a black hat, but I've never heard of the white hat before. So that makes total sense there. Well, White Hat comes from Thomas Klausner and Ren Multimaki from Dragon Dawn Productions. Uh, so we're playing as these good guy hackers trying to breach the security system in an effort to verify that it is, in fact, secure. And how are we doing it? Well, trick taking, of course. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I'm... Consider me interested. Fair enough. Well, it's a one to six player trick taking game where you're uh, looking to end the game with the fewest amount of points. And it's not actually done with the cards that you're acquiring per se. Scott, we've got a board in the middle of the table and there's some cards that you're going to use as overlays in order to randomize that board a bit. It's meant to look, okay. I, I guess, like a, it looks like a circuit board, but it's it's not. They all have names like the Internet Cafe and, you know, well, et cetera. We'll get there. You start with a couple markers on this central board and as you win tricks, you're able to move your marker around the board from space to space. And each space has a number of points on it. So if you're like, obviously near the beginning space is say a five point, they go up to five and you don't want your token to be there. And you're trying to get it to the very low amount spaces. And the game ends when somebody makes it all the way across the board to the the final space. Then it's worth negative one, actually. For a trick, the lead player starts by playing any one card or any number of cards that are all the same number. So I could lead with an eight, or I could lead with three eights if I have them. Players then play cards into the trick, and if I led with three of a kind, for example, other players may play three of a kind as well, or they can just dump a single card. The highest total will win the trick. So in the case of me playing three eights, that's a 24. Right, so you just dumped a six just to get rid of it. All right, so we understand how we're winning tricks in this game. We understand that you can play multiples. Highest total wins the trick, and uh, again, when you win a trick, that's when you get to move one of your two pieces on the central board. Now, the white hat. The white hat is a card value five that when it's played, it reverses the rules of the trick taking so that the lowest total in the trick wins which that's a hell of a variable, by the way, taking the white hat card into your hand. If you win the trick with the white hat, you take it in your hand plus additional cards, depending on how many the trick winner played. 
That's a mouthful. Just know that if you're taking the white hat, uh, you're also going to be taking some additional cards. If you move your token and somebody's already in the next space, you jump over them. So those tokens on the central board, oh, I want a trick. You're in the the next room over. I want to go that way. Mm -hmm. I jump over you. I think checkers rules, right? Oftentimes, you're going to be messing with other players on the board. The various spaces do things. Like there's one space. It's only worth one point. But once you get a token in there, you're the only one in there. It's locked in. No one else can go in there. You're guaranteed it's only going to be one point. There's another one. When you get here, move somebody else's token back to the third space. And oh crap, that one's worth four points and I don't want to score points. There's a lot of interplay, not just in the trick taking. We all know trick taking is going to have that what are they still holding? You know, you're trying to, yeah, to work, yeah. like suss out what other people still have. There's a lot going on in this board too. A lot of interaction going on there. As I mentioned, the game's going to end when someone's marker reaches the end of the board. So what makes the game good? And I'm glad you asked because this is good. This is, uh, like I said, a trick-taking game. If you like trick-taking, you're familiar with that territory already. Granted, there aren't any suits here, just numbers. You're just playing for the sake of the numbers. Scott, right. Lately, we've seen a handful of trick-taking games work well with uh, with a bidding system, like uh, Nine yes. Lives and Cat in the Box. We don't have Cat bidding box, here. Cat in the Box, yes. Instead, we have that board where the magic of the game happens. Let me tell you a couple of the other spaces. The skull lets you send somebody back to the start. The the database server lets you put little like plus one and minus one tokens on other spaces of the board, making them worth more or making them worth less. So if you have something like you're stuck in that FBI server that locks you into that that one point space, you can get to that other spot and put a minus one token on it, guaranteeing that you're going to have zero. There's another one where once you get a token into it, you can't move your token anymore, but it unlocks a tracer that you get to move. And think of it like a like a piece that you can chase other people with. From now on, if you win a trick, you get to move the tracer and potentially capture someone else's pieces, moving them onto this sideboard where they have to re-unlock them. Asymmetric, oh, wow. super mega rocket ship game changer right there. One last detail, and quite frankly, it is another game changer. We've already got a good trick taker, but check this out. You can incorporate cards that give you target point amounts. I said that when the game ends, whoever's the lowest total score wins. Like normally that that's the target. Instead, you can deal out cards at the beginning of the game that say, here is your target. And you're trying to get the closest to that target instead of be the lowest. So you might have the 50 card. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to mess with Scott and send his piece back to the start. Oh, Scott's not moving that piece. Why is he still got his piece on the five? He won a trick and he uh-huh. still is ma- Scott might have a high value card. Like you might have the 50 in your hand and you don't mind taking a bunch of points. It might right. even be part of your strategy. Slightly heavier than your average trick taking game, but a very easy to recommend game. That's white hat. I am thoroughly intrigued. I'm looking at the picture of it on uh, BGG right now. And oh man, it really looks great. Uh, I'm anxious to uh, check this one out sometime. You know what? I had it at the shop yesterday, but Lacrimosa was calling. Uh, we, we had a couple things mm. that we had to get to for sake of the show. Uh, White yep. Hat, uh, this is going to happen again. This is absolutely going to happen again. It plays quick enough. It's not super fast. It's, it's a good 45-minute game uh, and can go right. significantly longer depending on the, the player count. It is a fully fleshed out game it you know you think trick taker i think sometimes people okay so we're gonna throw some cards in the middle for 10 minutes you know this will be cute right right this isn't that right this has a lot of meat on the bones i think you're gonna like it dragon dawn they've been uh hitting some pretty good ones here i'm anxious for this one 
And they've been really good to us, and they're going to be really good to us again. So, Dragon Dawn, uh, Ren Maltamaki, he actually reached out to us, and he said, Hey, guys, I was wondering if you wanted to do another promotion for us. Said, Absolutely, Ren. You guys have been helping us out, giving us some games, and uh, we're, we're getting mm-hmm. to talk about them on the show. We're having a lot of fun with them. What you got? He said, well, I've got a copy of White Hat that you can give out to whoever. Whoever wins worldwide shipping, oh, we'll wow. cover it. You come up with the criteria. Make it your contest and we'll fulfill. <laughs> How about that? So, Holy cow. First and foremost, thank you, Dragon Dawn. Thank you, Ren, for, for giving us the opportunity yes. to do something like that. You know, what a, what a privileged position we find ourselves in. I know. <laughs> so what do you think, Scott? I'll, I'll, I'll give the power to you. How are we going to run this? Con- How are we going to pick a winner? Whoa, 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 whoa. I get a little drunk with power here. <laughs> I, I, I just want to throw that out there. King Scott. Um, they're the people that join the guild, and a lot of times we don't get around to getting on there as often. I know I don't get on there as often as I should. I think we should reward the people that have joined the guild and give it to somebody on there. Okay, I like that. Guild 3722, yeah. that's our guild for level up. 3722, join our BGG guild. Pat, I'm not on BGG very often, but I want to win a copy of White Hat. Check your show notes, whatever app you're listening to. Just go to the info for this episode and scroll down. I always put a link to all of our social media and mm-hmm. our BGG guild. You can probably guess which one you want to click. That'll take you right to the guild page and click join. You'll get a free micro badge from us. We'll give you the geek gold to get yourself a little Wilfert so you can display some level up pride. And you know what? We have been using the guild a little bit more. In fact, later on this episode, we're going to do two games enter, one game leave. And it's from a guild member suggestion. So we are going to try and uh, visit our guild a bit more often. So if you're not in there, get in there. More's coming. Yes, why don't we try and do this by February 9th, next time a show comes out? That's uh, the Thursday for – yeah, okay. So this is going to be a couple weeks, February 9th. That's when we're going to yeah, pick yeah. a winner and, uh, yeah, get in the guild by then. Sounds good. Sounds good. Hey, what's up, Carl? <laughs> now he's Carl. Is that – oh, that could be yeah. official. <laughs> I showed some interest in him. I called, I talked to him. I said, Hey, uh, what's, what's your name? Carl. I learned all about his family, what his dreams were and everything like that. What do you know about him, Patrick? Huh? I know he, I know that whenever he blows that trumpet, it means it's time for the top 100 update. Scott, new highest peaks of the crew, Mission Deep Sea up to number 37. Pax Premier, second edition at 40. Great Western Trail, second edition already at 51. Pandemic Legacy Season Zero is higher than it's ever been at 55. Interesting because Pandemic Legacy was the number one there for a little bit before Gloomhaven Season Zero. Right, yeah. It's a slow climb, but it's up to 55. Kanban EV, 66. Sleeping God, 67. Grand Austria Hotel, 73. Cthulhu Ooh. Death May Die, 87. And our recent obsession, Obsession, is at 94. Woohoo! You know, I've been playing that with Ryan at work behind your back. Oh. <laughs> we'll talk about that on a level up. Here. We're, you know, we're due for a level back. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll get Ryan to join us. Uh, it sounds like a good one. Happy birthdays, the Quacks of Quedlinburg, three years. Arkham Horror, the card game, six years. Five Tribes, eight years. Terra Mystica, 10 years. Holy cow. Yeah. Eclipse, 11 years for Eclipse. And Power Grid, 19 years. 19. Wow. That's that. Hey, that's some staying power there. Well, Scott, it's time to get on to review. And this is for a game that had some staying power on our table. 
Let's do a Ooh, little yes. breakdown of Wonderland's War. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 Designed by Tim Eisner, Ben Eisner, and Ian Moss, published in 2022 by Druid City Games, Wonderland's War puts two to five players in the role of Alice, the Mad Hatter, and other Wonderland's characters gathering support to establish control after the looking glass shattered, bringing war to the Wonderlands. Now, before beginning, I want to point out that there are details of this game being left out in this walkthrough because I'm hoping to give you a gist of the game. We don't want to walk through it to sound like we're reading a rulebook or teaching the entire thing. We just want to create the visual and give you a sense of what the game's all about. Wonderland's War is broken into three rounds, each with two main phases, the Tea Party and the Battle Phase. Before giving an overview of these phases, though, let's see what the table and player areas look like to start the game. First and foremost, the main board depicts the Tea Party table in the center. This is an area that houses cards the players are going to acquire during the Tea Party phase, and surrounding this area are five locations at which the factions will be battling during the battle phase. Each player begins the game with a character, the Red Queen, Alice, etc., and they get that character's player board on which they'll have a few tracks for advancements, a power meter for their character itself, as well as unlockable upgrade abilities that only their character has. Next, before beginning play, each character gets a bag into which several chips are placed to start the game. These chips are the same for each player, and they're drawn at random from your bag during the battle phase for resolution, and a huge chunk of the game is acquiring new chips with different abilities. In fact, every game has a market of five cards. Flamingos, soldiers, roses, etc., and each of these cards is accompanied by a big stack of chips. So when you acquire a chip, you put it in your bag, and you can reference that market card to see exactly how it functions when you pull it in the battle phase. So let's look at the Tea Party phase, because that's where a lot of the bag building happens. In this phase, each player places their miniature at the head of the table, and in turn order, you choose a seat at the table, moving your character to that space, then you resolve and discard the card in that spot, and the next player does the same, and so on. The cards that you acquire are going to shape your strategy. Many give you a chance to acquire new chips to add to your bag. Some might simply add one chip, others might offer more powerful ones, but they typically have a cost associated. Some cards will allow players to acquire a quest, trying to score additional points at the end of the game, and many cards offer players a chance to upgrade their character board. Finally, many of these cards have a number in the top left, which indicates how many of your minions you can send into any of the five battle regions of the main board. The point is, the Tea Party is the phase of the game where you have the chance to differentiate your character, your bag, and your influence on the main board for the battle phase. Now, after each player has acquired four Tea Party cards, they send their main character mini to a location, and the battle phase begins. Each region is going to have a battle, and it's resolved like this. Each player in the battle gets one power for each of their minions in the region, plus an additional power if their leader's there. Simultaneously, players reach into their bag of chips, and they pull out a closed fist. One, two, three! Everyone opens their hand to reveal the chip that they selected. The power number on that chip is added to their battle strength, and often the chip's going to have a special ability too. Eventually, the battle will end when one player has 25 total power in the battle, or if they're the last one remaining. So you can reach in your bag and pull out your fist, and when you open your hand to reveal, you might have chosen to reveal nothing, an empty hand, basically leaving the battle. Without getting into detail, there's often good reason to do this. The winner at the battle location scores points and a castle's placed in the region for them, which makes them a little bit stronger their next round. Then players move on to the next region of the board, and they do it again. After three rounds, the game ends, and players will add additional points from their endgame quest cards that they've completed, and the high score wins the game. 
Okay, so lately we've been able to cover most everything in a walkthrough, but this was a really basic overview of Wonderland's War. The game includes a handful of simple mechanisms that add a lot of strategy, such as madness shards, which make you have to carefully consider the cards you're going to take at the tea party. Or bidding cards. You get to use these when you're not an active participant in a battle. Mainly, though, I want to point out the Wonderlandian cards. This unique deck represents things in the Wonderlands universe that can genuinely alter how you approach your play. Each card's going to offer either two unique chips or a unique miniature to place in a battle area just for you. These cards make each play particularly different. Now, I hope this walkthrough gives you an idea of how Wonderlands War is going to play out when it hits your table. Let's get back to King Scott and give the 8-bit breakdown to Wonderlands War. Hey, adventurers, you know how we like to break down our games in the 8-Bit Breakdown, where we start with the art and components, look at several facets of Wonderland's War, finishing up with bit number 8, was it fun and who's it for? Bit number 1's all about the art and components. Let's start here, Scott. We played the deluxe version, so we have the miniatures, mm. the plastic chips. That's not retail, all right? So uh, retail's going to come with cardboard tokens and standees, so do factor that in as we tell you about the art and components which are absurd, which are absolutely absurd. The next time you play <laughs> Wonderland's War, be warned that those chips were all over my body. I am friends <laughs> with the art and components in this game. Honestly, Scott, we could go on about things like the miniatures and that clinkety-clack of the plastic chips, but even more than that, I love the attention to detail here. The character figures, like the custom meeples, like the Queen of Heart, the, uh, the Red Queen, her meeples look like card soldiers right? Mm -hmm. That carries some weight. Each player's bag, when we're pulling chips out of the bags, you notice they're in your player color. It could have it just been a bag, but it's your player color with your character image on it. Huge points for that insert that holds the chips. Absurdly good. Yes. Not only aesthetically pleasing, but it helps to facilitate smooth gameplay. You open it up, which by the way, it's got the little magnet closer thing. I'm doing a thing with my arms. I look ridiculous trying to explain this to Scott, <laughs> but it's got the magnet and you open it up and it shows you on the top a little diagram where your chips go. And at first that looks intimidating. Like, holy crap, this is going to be like Fiddle Haven. You know, yeah. we're going to play in Texas because we got some fiddle in this band. You know, I'm really proud of that. That's <laughs> no, it, it's incredible. It makes the game really easy to play. I loved it. Bottom line for me, we've reviewed a ton of games to this point, and Wonderland's War might be the best components I've seen in a game so far. What say you, King? Well, first of all, I have to say one of the brightest ideas I think I've ever seen in a game is the sides of the box are open like there's a an inch and a half gap on each side of the box mm -hmm. well why is that there well it's for you to stick your fingers in there and lift the things out of it in this deep box and it's such a clever idea yeah, that chip tray does fit in there flush to all four sides if they didn't have that you you'd have to tip it upside down to get the yes, thing out yes exactly but yeah, this thing is perfectly themed to the craziness of the Mad Hatter. Wonderful colors, designs, everything. The board is everything you need. But the one thing that kind of got me that was when you stand back and look at it, it's kind of weird. You have all these portals leading to these different lands where your battles are taking place right next to a tea party. 
So it's kind of a, a weird thing that I had, but it's a minor quibble. But other than that, everything else is so well done. Uh, like you said, the box and storage solutions are on point. The colors of it, you expect it to be wild colors, bright colors and everything like that with Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. And they give it to you in spades. It's oh. absolutely great with that. If there's any one hangup that I have, it's actually those little cut-in slots on the side of the box. Because you know what you don't get? Oh, box Burr. fart. <laughs> yeah. And listeners of Level Up know that we really appreciate that uh, to wrap up our game. <laughs> Scott, let's go to bit number two, theme and immersion. Why don't you take this one? This one actually got me immersed. I felt that I was gathering my forces to do battle. I was going around the table. That part is a little mechanical. I, nothing that was really it's that special. I mean, you're picking up the card to give you some bonuses. But otherwise, whenever you're getting into battle and you're getting ready to battle the people that are in the, the field of battle, how many times can I say battle? It's going to be battle, a drinking battle. game. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Whenever you're putting your hand in your bag, you pull it out. Do they have a thing in uh, a token in their hand? Do they not? Are they out of the battle? Are they going to throw something at me that I'm not expecting? What's going to happen? Yeah. It really kind of gets you into that heat of battle. There we go again. Drink. <laughs> and it's really amazing. It did get me involved with it. The fantastic looking castles that you have in the different lands, the different warriors you have in different lands, it just all worked well together. It really did have me immersed in this game. What did you think? Well, we got upheaval in the Wonderlands. We're fighting for control, as you said. Uh, we got those five locations where players are going to come to fisticuffs each round. And and we resolve said cuffs of fisty through a pressure lock chip drawing mechanism a la Orleone or Quacks of Quedlinburg. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the theme hits you immediately in phase one, when you're at the tea party, clamoring to get the best cards that you can without going too mad. You get a little too greedy, sipping too much of that tea, you're going to take those little, those crystals, those madness crystals. You, you don't yes. want those, and then you end up taking the chips that go in your bag, and they dilute it. They make it bad. Then you see your character upgrades, and they feel like they belong to that character. I, uh, we played yes, yes. Uh, when I was uh, the Mad Hatter. He can opt to just stay at the tea party instead of going somewhere. Like, he can't get enough of it. So he stays at the party and gets another card. Uh, you can poison people if you're playing as the Jabberwock. The Jabberwock. Yeah. Yep. Sprinkle in the miniature, the laser cut meeples for your faction. Everything is so immersive. But wait, the deck of Wonderlands cards. They add characters like the walrus or Humpty, the, the monocle, the lamp, all things mm -hmm. right out of the story and right into the game. On top of that, the cards you have access to every game, like those flamingos, the roses. I mean, so much. The top scores, top scores for theme and immersion for me, blew it out of the water. With something like this, you expect this to be a very complex game. What were your thoughts on the complexity of it? Well, if you break it down, there's two main portions of the game. You got your tea party, where you're going to have a bunch of symbols on the cards you got to learn in order to fully grasp. And thankfully, I thought they were pretty intuitive for the most part. The second portion is resolving conflicts through drawing chips. Uh, and there's a bit going on there if you haven't done that before. Like, okay, so wait, a he stopped. Dude, I can keep, wait, you mean I can keep going? Yeah, but not if you hit 25. There are some some little rules here and there. A lot of moving parts in the game. And, and honestly, to me, that I think, I didn't feel like any of the moving parts were tacked on or unnecessary. No, I thought yeah. they all had reason to be there. And they're part of what makes this game so good. 
But I, I think agree. for a casual gamer, I think it's got the potential to feel very overwhelming, especially on their first play. Like if you take a non-gamer, they might just like halfway through round one be like, yeah, I don't have this in me tonight. I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe the only hang up that we ran into was the difference between busting in a battle and becoming exhausted through madness chips uh, within right. a game. Uh, we conquer one game. It took us to conquer that confusion. I'm pretty confident that at this point uh, I could teach it to just about anyone. And after they played one game, I think most gamers are going to be able to pass on to the next person. Not a simple game. I didn't find it overly complex, but what did you think? Pretty much I agree with what you said there. There is a lot going on here, but I don't feel that it would be out of the realm of a new player to learn this game. I do say yes, with the caveat that they are a gamer. If they are not a gamer, yeah, they're going to be drawn in thinking, oh, this is going to be a Disney game. It's going to be cute. And they're going to get hit in the face with a two by four of reality <laughs> scene. No, you're wrong. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> but once you get playing, it's pretty straightforward. You can see the strategies of what you want to do. And having the asymmetric characters, it's still not that difficult to really wrap your head around what you want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't I take the rule book? Because uh, that, that's on me and the learning curve will that be That would be you. you. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm going to cheat. I had the benefit of learning this one from Jimmy. Uh, he did the rule book oh. and he taught me over at his house, which by the way, Jimmy's hospitality, uh, it's it's top notch. He always has uh, some some fine coffee for me. And, and thank you, Jimmy. Uh-huh. But when I got myself a copy, I had to refresh my understanding of the rules and the rule book did a fine job. It's colorful. It's well-structured, provided plenty of full-turn examples, complete with reminders. Uh, and as we say pretty often, the mark of a good rule book is that it didn't get in the way. Uh, kind of like an offensive lineman in a football game. If you don't notice them, means they're doing their job, right? And I, I felt that the rule book yes. did a fine job. Now, the learning curve, I'm going to let you talk most learning curve. For me, I'm going to say give it a round of play. And I think that it was beneficial that I've played uh, Orleone, for example. I've, I've played Press Your Luck games. So I think familiarity helped me with the learning curve. What do you think? Learning curve of Wonderland's War. The learning curve actually came relatively simply. You will have a couple questions about the symbols whenever you first get started with like upgrading things and the forge and different things like that. But everything else is so very well explained on the cards and on the player boards with the different Wonderland creatures that you can add to your bag or just add their miniatures. Mm -hmm. Everything was on the card and explained it perfectly. There was hardly, I don't think there was every time we looked at any of those and we're like, uh, this is kind of shaky. Yeah, do they have a reference Does it mean in this? Does it mean that? It, it, it was all right there. Mm-hmm. So beautifully done. The learning curve was straight. There wasn't many little tangents like, if you do this, oh, you can do it that way, but then you might want to do it this way and you might want to do it. No, it was just, here's what you need to do. Here's your goal. Here's uh, how you do it. Play. It's not a game with edge cases and exceptions. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. Exactly, yes. Scott, you know how much I love me some meat, and we got a bunch of it in Wonderland's War. Tell me, what do you think? Bit number five, the meat of the game. All right. So the meat of the game is not Flamingo. I will tell you that right now. Mm -mm. But I think the meat for me was the drawing the chips during the battle. Not knowing if your opponents are going to drop out, if they're going to continue. Now then, once they do drop out, are you going to continue to get even more bonuses? Maybe you have to complete one of your quest cards to get up so high. That was nerve-wracking. That was just fun. You you have your fist out there, and you're just like, 
Are they still in it? Are they not? Are they going to turn over something really, really good? What's going to happen? Also, the going mad part of it, whenever you go through and you get the corruption tokens, Mm -hmm. it's a pain. Once you get to the end of the round, you figure out who has the most corruption tokens. Then you get uh, one of those bad chips and goes in your bag and gums things up. But whenever you do that, you do lose half of your corruption tokens. Yeah, it balances. So then a you have bit. to They're risk shards. kind of. Yeah, you have to look at it and figure: is it worth me going mad to lose half of them, but then have this going in my bag, or do I want to press my luck again? with getting the shards of corruption and just keep pushing that a little bit further. So there's a lot of push your luck into this, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of done in a way that you don't really feel like it's push their luck, but you get a great feeling of playing it and a great feeling of accomplishment whenever you play this game. That's what I got from the meat of the game. So I'm sure you got a lot. Lay it on me here. Okay. Uh, It's tough because this game to me is so media. There's about five different areas that you could focus on, each with their own sub strategies, and you just can't do them all. You're going to pay to get castles out early and win as many fights as possible to score your points on the map. Maybe you're going to try and build your bag in a way that gives you ancillary benefits and points, regardless of what happens in the fights. Uh, everybody's character gives you asymmetric upgrades, oftentimes game-defining upgrades. Maybe you're going to try and make your character real badass that way. What Wonderlandians are available? Maybe you can get extra miniatures and take advantage of, of them in the game. I suppose for me, a lot of the meat of this game, Scott, it, it revolves around what strategies you opt to pursue. And no matter what, it's always going to be important to make wise decisions during that tea party. And then build Mm -hmm. your bag of chips to cater to the chosen strategy. And what makes it especially interesting, though, is that it's not uncommon that you have a chance to pivot. One of our plays, Jeremy's playing as a Red Queen, and he has the ability to leech points off the leader if he pulled his artifact chip, right? He had that axe chip. Then anytime he got three power – okay, so he's falling behind, and he pivots. And he goes, you know what? That's going to be my thing now. He unlocked that upgrade. We both were like, okay, Jeremy's clearly going to lose this game, but let's see what he can pull <laughs> out of his bum before it's all said and done. No, he went for that upgrade where he gets to start leeching points off the leader. That was his strategy. So he really quickly unlocked his artifacts, got him into the bag. He purchased Wonderland's cards, the ones that uh, lets him put exhausted chips back into the bag so long as they're in his active right. row. So if he pulls an axe, he leeches a point. And then he pulls the put a chip back thing. And then he pulls an axe and he leeches a point. And then at the end of the fight, whenever you put all those chips into the exhausted area, he gets to put one of his artifact axes back in the bag. So he's got the likelihood of happening of it happening. He made an engine out of that bag. Basically, any fight he was in, he was going to pull a bunch of three power chips, which gives him higher chances of winning that fight. Plus, he's going to leech points off of the leader every fight he's in. Now, you think about it. We could play another two dozen times and never see the right combination of players, Wonderlands cards, and chips for that to happen again. And it has me wondering how many more little hidden combos, hidden synergies, hidden engines can be discovered in this game. In fact, maybe another slab of like thinky, gamey meat is the ability to look for these combos because tell you what, Jeremy was firing on all cylinders. (laughs) That he was, that he was. So that leads me to think this is going to be a highly replayable and highly variable game. What do you think? A good sign for this is that we played it, and then we set it back up again and played it again. It was so the rare twice thing, in a day. I know, I know. <laughs> I was shocked. I looked at it, I'm like, 
Patrick. Are you all right? Among other plays, uh, yeah. We even doubled down yeah. in one day. The important thing here is that it was fun enough to want to play again. You want to try something different. You want to use different minions, use different upgrades. There's a lot of replayability. But like you just said there, the variability is huge. Do you want to go with more creatures? Do you want to go with more of the soldiers? Do you want to get those flamingos out there that do so much for you? There's so many different combos to play in this game. You really unpack things each time you play this. Mm -hmm. So I have a hard time thinking that it would get samey anytime soon from playing this game. It's going to be definitely on your shelf begging you to play more and more there. Every so time. I yeah, I think it's definitely one that's going to stay in your collection for a while, I think. Well, it's got a lot of variables that help that replayability and help it get back to the table. Uh, different player boards, right? Uh, everybody, There's five different characters in the game. Five different chips that are available every game, and there are four sets of cards to choose from. So, like, we played with mm -hmm. the A, the C, the D. Like, next time I oh, play, yeah, I we might use the, yes. the B so that the soldier tokens and the tower tokens and the flamingos do something different. We played the one game, right. Rosa scored points. We played the next game. They did something totally different. Tea Party cards come up at random. Yes, you're always going to have like, uh, what is it? Era 1, Era 2, Era 3. Like they are three mm -hmm. different strengths uh, according to the round that you're in. But they come up at random. And that one that you super duper want might be at the very other end of the table. And you can get it. But then you're going to be taking a shard <laughs> because you're back to the head of the table. Maybe you want to play a conservative game. And you know, I'm just going to take the first three of it, or the first four rather, that are available so that I don't have to take a shard. That's possible. And nothing Nothing comes close to those Wonderlandians cards. The those those excess yeah. the extra chips that you can get and the extra minis that you can get into. Let me put it to you this way: with minimal variables, I think I could play this game regularly for a long time. But once you introduce those, I could play this for years. It's it's so fun. They're so game altering, and they're a big part of what I think makes the game so successful. I tell you what, I finished playing this one the other day. My mind was racing with different cards we saw, what could work to get. Like I could sit down with a spreadsheet and all the pieces on the board and trying to like map out what to do next time I play. I won't do that though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so number seven, two downsides. Go ahead. I, I have a hard time thinking that you're going to have many downsides here. I have one. Uh, I have one. And that is give me more factions. Right, the game has the Jabberwock. Mm. It's got the Mad Hatter. It's got Alice, the Red Queen, and the Cat, the Cheshire Cat. Yeah. Uh, yes. So you have five different ones to choose from. Yes, more Wonderlands cards would be great. Uh, give me more chips. Sure, that'd be great. Give me more ways to play with the opening five. But there are really there's plenty. I just want more factions. Give me a few other yeah. characters to play with, uh, a, a few more asymmetric abilities on their boards that we can unlock, even overlays or like you can flip it over and you have like the two player side and you flip it to the other side and it's the multiplayer side. I, I would like to see either different factions or here's an alternate Red Queen. Oh, and here's another way to play Red Queen with a slightly different board setup. I will say right now they do have late pledges up for the most recent Kickstarter, and that's the Shards expansion. That's going to add mm -hmm. a few more things, uh, mostly some interplay with a lot of those shards in the middle. And uh, yes, I'm a backer, but it doesn't have new factions. In fact, it comes with a, mm -hmm. a an alternate Jabberwock to tone down its power a little bit. And one other one, they, they changed it up oh so slightly. I think it was the Mad Hatter. They made a slight change to... Making it more balanced. Apparently, there are some setups, sure. combos, et cetera, that can make those two slightly more powerful. So they they nix. I mean, let's be honest. Alice moves counterclockwise. 
I'm sure there mm-hmm. are plenty of situations where that is really good, but it doesn't feel nearly as powerful as the Jabberwock, for example. Yeah, and that was something I played as Alice the first game, and you guys were just like, wait, you get to do what? <laughs> yeah, that just threw the whole thing out the window. It's like, oh, God, I got to think of something completely different now. Yeah, it's more a variable for the other players to consider when somebody's Alice. Okay, so, so as long as I don't forget that Scott moves counterclockwise at the tea party, then I know that he could take one of these cards before me. Okay, I can handle that. So it was more like a speed mm-hmm. bump for everyone else as opposed to a benefit right. for yourself. Right. Now, it's a good way of putting it, yes. Scott, do you have anything to add to downsides? Well, I'm not going to say any. Uh, no, <laughs> it's, I'm uh, truly, I'm not going to say any because... The reason being is if I do, I'm reaching to just find something to be nitpicky That's about. fair, yeah. But as I said before, the mechanics can get a little samey as far as you go around the table, you go battle. You go around the table, you go battle. But it's offset by the different things you get from the cards and the different powers that each one of the characters have. So it's it really is... I'm not going to say it's a perfect game. I I don't think that there is a perfect game out there, but this is very close. If you're trying to find a downside, you're trying to nitpick too much in mm-hmm. this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. That's, that's going to take us right into what is probably already been found out by everyone listening. Was it fun and who's it for? What say you, King Scott? Yes, it was fun. This will shine for people who like each other to play. You want to have people that you know. If you're playing with strangers, sure, you can have some fun. But the whole metric of are they going to continue to pull from their sack is so much more fun whenever you're playing with people that you know. Because you're sitting there going, all right, I know what Jeremy does. And you kind of get in his head. And then you think what he's going to do and what he's going to play, and then he does it. It's like, all right, I'm in his head now, so I'm sitting here rent-free. But then he does something different, and it's like, why the hell did you do that? (laughs) And then you get mad at him for doing it. I think it's one of those games that this one here will shine if you're playing with people that you know and you you enjoy playing games with. Mm -hmm. It's an approachable game in many ways. I had heard early on that this was a doozy to play, that there was so much in this. Yes, there is a lot in it, but once you get the basics down to play this, it's not a bad game to play at all. What say you? Well, obviously this one made an impression, Scott. I I point out regularly that we'll finish our review games and we'll sell it to fund the next review game, like what happened with our last episode, Mythic Mischief. We played it a handful of times, enjoyed it, sold it so that we could buy the next one. This is a first here. This is a game that I didn't own. No, you know what? I stand correct. This is a second because I did this with Barrage too. It's a game that I didn't own, was taught, and then instantly bought a copy that will live on my shelf forever. (laughs) Uh, I think when you're considering who's going to like this game, you've got to be okay with a little bit of conflict because that's the game. You know, you're going to be fighting Mm -hmm. over territories. But I will say it doesn't feel like you're picking on anybody. You know, it doesn't feel personal. No, no. Like in, I don't know, we'll just say water down, risk. If I'm bordering two countries, one is you and one's Jeremy, I got to pick who I'm going to pick on. That's personal, right? Even if that person mm-hmm. understands, well, yeah, I'm in the lead. It makes sense that he comes after me. He's, you still came after me, bruh, right? It doesn't <laughs> do that here. It, it, it doesn't feel personal at all. Considering that the conflict resolution is pulling chips from a bag, it's fun. 
And you never mind, yeah. it's a unique way to resolve combat. You can lose the combat and still come out ahead. Jeremy was losing combats, but still leeching points from me, who was in the lead, when you and Jeremy were fighting. And he was okay with losing that battle, so long as he leached three points, right? Um, mm -hmm. I had a round where I pulled two roses and three different color chips from my bag, and I had that unicorn that gave me three points because I had three oh, different colors. Yes. Doesn't matter if I lost. I got my three points, and I got three more from the roses. My point is, don't let the fact that there's conflict scare you. The only reservation that I can think of when recommending this is that the game does have a handful of gaming concepts. Upgrading, asymmetric powers, the statistical analysis of bag building, and what might I pull next, right? That's a lot to consider for a non-gamer or someone who's casual. For anyone else, all right, listen, you're a nerd. You're listening to a board game podcast. You will like this game. It's amazing. That's it's amazing. Sorry. Perfect way to wind that up. came to this planet and they chose you. They uplifted your people and promised great prosperity. They provided the wisdom and the resources to build your city sky high. They taught you the ways of culture, science, and warfare. They promised knowledge for any willing to learn. Come, Archon, guide your citizens to victory under the watchful eyes of the builders are benefactors from beyond the skies above. I picture that guy in uh, that what when the History Channel was doing Ancient Aliens. He's a meme now. He's like balding but has wacky hair and his hands are up and he yeah, just says yeah. aliens. Right? Aliens. That's this game. Aliens. <laughs> yeah, the, the pyramids were built by aliens. Origins. First builders. You're an archon. You're gaining population of the free men and it's all represented by dice. You've got those dials that are ticking up so that when you want to take actions, you have to have a die of that value. Your dice are aging. You're building a city. You're going to war. You're You're anointing senators there's a, you got constellations and special cards there's a lot going on in this one scott there certainly is this is like a smorgasbord of mechanics mm -hmm. there's a lot here and i enjoy playing this game i had a great time playing this game would i like to play it again yes i'd like to play it again is it really on the back of my mind thinking i want to play it right now no but it's still one it's, that has a nice little area that's like, oh, those were fond memories of that game. We should revisit it sometime. It's nothing that has that gripped me so tight that I'm like, yeah, you need to play this right now. Mm -hmm. This was a game that was really mechanics forward. There's no theme to this at all. No. Aliens. It's just like, here you got this and you have this and oh, Here's another mechanic just for gits and shiggles. So that's the whole thing here. It's a fun game, but yeah, it's not really calling me back that I need to play it right now. What do you think? It's a little bit of a mechanism soup. I'll give you that. And you know what's funny is that as I'm thinking about it now, it's actually the weight of this game is rated lower on BGG than Wonderland's War. And I think that oh, wow. is, as we would say in southwestern Pennsylvania, Hogwarts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this game is definitely 
got a lot more things happening than Wonderland's War for Children. It's a lot more difficult to grasp. I like this game. This is another one that I did not sell when we finished. It is on the shelf, and I do think, you know what, this has got to come back to the table. You know what's preventing it is that there's a handful of heavy gamers, you know, well, heavy, medium heavy gamers in my groups that that I play with, right? And Mm -hmm. I've played it with Jimmy. You and I have reviewed it. I could show Jason. He'd enjoy it. And there's a handful more. You know, I'm not like, you know, picking that there's three people. But I can't take this to a meetup. You know, I I can't break it out at a meetup and expect some people that may or may not be heavy gamers or even medium gamers to sit down and be okay. with. Okay, this is going to be about two and a half hours. Uh, There's a lot to consider. There's a lot of questions you're going to have. That might not be fun. So I don't risk it. I just don't take it. Right. So the next time I have you over, we could play it, but we're probably going to okay. be doing the next review game. Right. <laughs> if I have Jason but, over, we could play it, but you're probably going to be there. So we're probably going to do the next review game. If I'm playing with Jimmy, he's probably teaching me something and I can't pass on, you know, being taught a game. What a treat. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's going to be hard to get it back to the table, but it's still in the collection because I think that it's worth the effort to get it back. There's there's part of me it's like, you know what, someday when the podcast is, you know, in the past and we don't do this anymore, I'm going to have a stack of like maybe 30 games and those will be the the old chestnuts that I come back to and I think Origins right. will be one of them that gets out regularly then. Right now, that competition for table space with us having to have, you know, some fresh content here and there. You know, sometimes we don't always get to play what we're jonesing to play. You know what I mean? Sometimes we, okay, let's play this one because, you know, I want to talk about it and find out, you know, if it's worthwhile and share that information. I've already done it for Origins, right? But this Mm -hmm. was a great game. This is a lot of fun. I definitely look forward to get this coming out on the table again there. So, sounds good. So, would you recommend it? For heavier gamers or somebody who's looking to, you know, you've played your fair share of medium games, you're like, you know what, I want to try something with a little bit more going on, then Mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. Very cool indeed. So yes, Origins, the first builders. Welcome to another edition of Two games enter, one game leaves, where we sell you the whole seat and you only need the edge. Getting butt cramps from sitting on the edge of the seat. Well, well, sit back. Maybe a fine line. I've got got a a sharp edge to the seat and it's creasing a fine line into my bottom. Back to Thunderdome! So, we were talking about the guild earlier. So, from the BGG guild... We got uh, uh, two games enter, one game leaves from James Swanson. Here it is, Patrick. Now, I played one of these. I haven't played both of them. You have played both of them. So you're putting me so this in is going in. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're going in. You're going into Thunderdome. Bring right it on, King. Blitzkrieg versus Caesar. Versus Caesar. Got it. Okay. Yeah. As soon as you said Blitzkrieg, I knew it was coming. Blitzkrieg versus Caesar. Both we've talked about on the show, both designed by Paolo Mori. All right. Blitzkrieg has the uh, the bag building and sort of that tug of war on various spaces mm-hmm. within each placement uh, with, for the given battles. It gives you asymmetry, not just in abilities, but oftentimes with what's in your bag. Caesar is a tad more like an area control game with players placing chips on the borders between the regions 
machines to control them. And your chips provide various strengths and abilities for each side of that border, for the territory in the middle. Uh, they're both similar. They're both uh, bag building games, draw and place the chips. Different in the area control element of Caesar and the timing element right. slash, we'll say, tug of war of Blitzkrieg. Oh, you know what? I think this one's going to come down. I'm not going to go down a list and which one gets an edge because that's entirely subjective. For me, it comes down to playing it at PAX last year. Uh, we did Blitzkrieg in the hotel. And then I went mm -hmm. to PSC Games and I picked up Caesar. They had a setup and a demo of Caesar. And I played it and I was like, I must have this. And I didn't tell the guy <laughs> that, but I thought I must have this because I really was enjoying Blitzkrieg and and. Just you know, sitting sipping on coffee with you before before the con yes. starts. It's still kind of twilighty in the morning. We got to bond, Scott. We bonded over Aww. Blitzkrieg. Caesar, on the <laughs> other hand, was uh, was a a very good game. The Edge. Two games enter, one game leave. Our criteria is one: I can play at any time, whenever I want, and there will always be a player ready to play. The other one: I can never play again. Yep, got to be Blitzkrieg. The Edge. Blitzkrieg. Okay, there we have Ooh, it. Two games entered, Caesar's, one game leaves. Caesar is laying in a bloody pile at the bottom of the Coliseum. King, it's that time. We've hit the end of episode 83. Holy cow, we're getting so close to 100. Consensus. Oh, I still can't believe we're still doing this here after two years here. This has been awesome, and I look forward to more. As we do every episode, Scott, let's finish up with how we leveled up since we last spoke. We like to do this to keep tabs on ourselves, make sure that we're still uh, uh, leveling up in life or in the hobby. What you got for a level up? Well, I had one down where I attended a night of demos at a game shop in Pittsburgh. And it was great seeing a bunch of local designers putting out their wares. And it was just a lot of fun, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I got to pull an audible because something happened this week that made me ugly cry. If people don't know what ugly cry is, it's whenever you cry to the point that you're just like, oh my God, he is so ugly. Uh, like when you watch the end of Rudy and he gets in and he makes a tackle. Oh, my wife comes down. She's like, are you all right? I said, come on upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but I heard the, the FedEx van drive up in front of my house. And I heard this little thump at my door. So I opened up the door and there's this little box there. And I picked up my wife a pair of the Jawbones uh, bone conducting headphones for her for working out. And then there was this bigger box. Mm. And I'm like, what is this? And I looked at it, and there's Quartermaster Distribution. I'm like, okay, I guess a Kickstarter came in. And I opened the thing up, and there were some boxes in there. And those boxes were the main game of Obsession, the upstairs-downstairs expansion for Obsession, the Wessex expansion, and then the promotional tiles for Obsession. Wow. Which I am obsessed with Obsession. <laughs> and this was done through our dear friend teacher ryan and you probably had something to do with it as well too there i just gave him your address that, okay. that was all ryan but I'm, I'm this giving you shit it made my heart grow four times that day mm. it was such a wonderful feeling this game is going to remain in my collection forever 
not only because I love it, but because it was such a special, special gift. Ryan, I cannot thank you enough for being a good friend to us and just being just an absolutely terrific person. So thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I tell you what, Ryan, if you ever see a game that you want, keep it under $10 and you got to cover the shipping, but we'll go ahead and send one to you. <laughs> On that note, Scott, I'll keep it simple. My level up is a full episode of games that I like. You know, like I, I tell you, I listen to every uh, every episode that we do, and I was like, oh my goodness, am I starting to be a downer? Am I getting pompous? Nah, whole episode of games that I like, and that is a huge level up. I'm going to give you the final word, but first I do want to remind adventurers, join that BGG guild. We're guild 3722. We're going to pick a winner for Dragon Dance Productions' White Hat on February 9th. And stick around for next week. We're going to have a side quest. King Scott and I are joined by Explorer Josh, Teacher Ryan, and the Hungry Gamer, our own dung merchant, Will Brown, to talk about the best games of 2022. Final word, Scott! So here we go. We got a toast here to finish out the the Ooh, episode. Get my drink. Get my coffee. Yeah, All right, a little bit left. Here's to a sweetheart, a bottle, and a friend. The first beautiful, the second fool, and the third ever faithful. See you next week, adventurers. Take care, all. We will see you soon. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.